I want to minister for a, a little while this morning through a message that I'm calling Look Like Him, The Hope of Glory. Next Friday, I will celebrate my 20th anniversary. I have been married to Jesus for 20 years. <laughs> Amen. A lot of things have faded from my mind over the 20 years, these last 20 years, but it was August 7th of 1995. I know that date. The Holy Spirit came knocking at a time when my life was falling apart like a cheap sweater. I was living a ransacked life. And the Holy Spirit came knocking one night, and I opened that door, and I'm going to tell you something. Jesus walked right into my life that night, and I knew it. I absolutely knew that I was born again. There was no way to talk me out of that. And there were at least four great manifestations that night that I thought were pretty awesome. I had an acute awareness, first of all, that all my sins had been forgiven. I never felt so clean in all my life, and it still makes me cry when I think about it. Oh, I felt so clean. I knew innately also that God loved me. I just knew it in my spirit, and the amazing thing, and it's a whole different message, but I hadn't done anything for God yet. But I knew that He loved me. And I had this awesome peace that uh, descended on me, and, and I mean, it was the peace that truly surpasses all understanding. As one said one time, one who knows needs no explanation, and one who doesn't, no explanation will suffice. You know what I'm talking about with that peace. And the fourth thing I knew for a fact is that I belong to Him. I belong to Him. And that very night, the cry of my heart became to reveal the goodness of my daddy. I just knew he was a good father now, and, and I wanted to reveal his love and his mercy and his grace, and, and I wanted to look like him. That's really where the inspiration for this message came from. I wanted to look like him. Not because I felt like I had to impress him. It was out of gratitude. I wanted to look like my daddy. Little boys want to look like their daddy. You want to look like him? You already do. And over these 20 years, I have found myself sharing the love of Jesus in some of the strangest places. Some of the loneliest places and some of the most desolate places I have shared the love of Christ. I want to encourage you to be bold about sharing Christ with people. We are carriers of the only message that brings hope. The thought of sharing Jesus with people, especially strangers, scares the bejeebies out of some of you, doesn't it? I know that's a word. My wife used it two weeks ago. She used the bejeebie word. You know, I'm going to tell you why it scares you. It's because we don't like rejection. I want to tell you something. Family's tougher than strangers. You might as well start practicing on strangers, right? You just might as well get used to practicing on strangers. I have ministered to gangbangers. People that would give you a cold stare and would almost intimidate you if you didn't have the Holy Spirit. When I was at the Life Center, our outreach mission program, there was a lot of gangbangers that came through there. And you know what I would do? I would put my arms around them as I walked down through the line, and I'd whisper in their ears, God loves you. Jesus loves you. And it's interesting, through all that toughness and that shell that they've got, you could tell they wanted to know that that was really true. I was reminded yesterday afternoon in preparation for this message, I don't know how many of you probably saw the movie called Crossing the Switchblade from the 1960s, but it was based on the true story of Pastor David Wilkerson, young man in his early 30s, that God gave him an assignment to go to New York City at a time when gang activity was at its highest. There were teenagers that were dying every single week in New York City. 
And David Wilkerson walked right into a gang-infested situation, and he set up a little podium and began to preach about the love of God. There were about 300 gang members that were present that day from all different sides, and he was actually right in their war zone. You don't walk into their war zone, but he did. And as he was preaching about the love of God, a man in the crowd named Nicky Cruz shouted to him, Shut up, preacher, or I'll kill you. Kind of intimidated that preacher a little bit, so he backed down just a little bit. That gang leader, Nicky Cruz, who told him to shut up, came up to him and put him up and pinned him up against a wall. And he said, if you open your mouth, he said, I will kill you. And that minister was just shaken. Nicky Cruz, by his own testimony, will say he was just shaken. He said, then there was something that came upon that preacher. There was this like holy boldness that came upon him. And he said to him, Nicky, you could cut me up in a thousand pieces and throw me right there on the sidewalk. And he said, every single one of those pieces will cry out, Nicky Cruz, Jesus loves you. I want to tell you something. It takes some boldness. It takes some boldness. But I'm going to tell you something. You can look like him. And I'm not talking just about in that type of ministry. I'm talking about in how you raise your children. I'm talking about how you go to work. I'm talking about different ways. Nicky Cruz gave his heart to Jesus Christ two weeks after that. It's a long story. Watch the movie sometime. It's an amazing movie. Nicky Cruz is a pastor today and preaches all over the world. I'm telling you, be bold. What have you got to lose? Leave the results up to God. Everywhere you go, I'm not just talking about witnessing. I'm talking about praying for people. I'm talking about ministering. I'm just talking about being nice to people. And leave the results up to God. There's a flavor that's on our life. There's this grace flavor that's on our life. And it makes people hungry. It makes them thirsty. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. Everywhere we go, we're supposed to look like him, the hope of glory. Amen? We saw something on television this week that I think is absolutely phenomenal. There's a pastor, I forget what city he's in, large city. For about the last 10 years, about once or so a week, he'll stand out on a street corner, very busy street corner, with a sign that says, free hugs. And it's amazing, the people that come, men and women, by and they're looking at that sign and, and they want the hug. Because sometimes people just don't get hugged. He talks about some, some guy that couldn't see very well and walked across the street because he, he thought the sign said free hogs. <laughs> he said, no, it's not hogs, it's hugs. Oh, okay, I don't need any of those. <laughs> What's really impressive about this is right across the, the street corner from there, there's the courthouse. And the judge was walking around in his chambers one day and he happened to look out the window and see that man down there with a sign. Didn't know what the sign said, but every once in a while I'd give somebody a hug. Like, what is this all about? Took off his black robe, walked down there. What are you doing down here? And he explained the ministry, being good to people, just like our father is good to us. And he said, I like what you're doing. I'm on board with this. And you know what that, that judge does now? Every time he sentences someone to prison, the last place they have to visit before they leave that day, that area, is they have to go out there on the street corner and get a hug from this man. What an amazing ministry. Could you believe there's a ministry called the Hugging Ministry? I mean, is it easy to look like him? Here's a man standing on the street corner looking like him and releasing the hope of glory. And he said, I have led many of those men and women to Christ right there on the street corner. Isn't that awesome? A Hugging Ministry. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, 
Verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What mystery, Paul? He's about to tell us. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. (laughs) Did you notice he doesn't say Christ on you? He doesn't even say Christ with you. He says Christ in you, the hope of glory. What have we got to be afraid about? We have nothing to fear. Christ is in us. The hope of glory is in us. We are walking with the hope of glory on the inside of us. That comes out of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, when you understand that the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, look. That means look. All things are become new. The hope of glory comes through grace. I want you to understand that. The hope of glory comes through grace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch verse 2 though. Through whom also we have gained access by faith into, into this glory in which we now stand. We, We get to boast, the Bible says, in the glory of God into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? It's the grace of God. And the more revelation we get about His grace, the more we're able to release the glory as we go. And the more we release the glory as we go, the more people take note of it. And the more people take note of it, the more they want this glory. They want this glory there's an appointment that God has set. There's a something on His calendar. Listen, August 7th of 1995 had been on the calendar of God for me since before He laid the foundation of the earth. He said, Mark, it's your appointment. You don't know what's coming. It's coming. There's appointments that are set. Be part of the appointment. We are not just encouraged to look like Him. We're empowered. See, that's just the whole cool thing about this. We're not just encouraged to look like Him. We're empowered. That means we're authorized, and we're deputized, and we're energized to look like Christ. We're empowered to look like Him. That means when I go to work, I can look like Him, the hope of glory. When I go to the gym, which I don't do very often, I can look like Him, the hope of glory. They'll probably say, you look like you need Him, and the hope of glory. (laughs) Now, Brother Steve, different story. When I go to the grocery store, one of my favorite places to go and minister... I mean, I'm on a mission more for ministry than I am groceries. When you get to go to the grocery store, you get to look like Him, the hope of glory. When you go to the restaurant, and that is my number one favorite place to go and minister to people is waitresses and waiters. Just be good to them. Tip them well, by the way, okay? Be good to your waiters. Look like Him, the hope of glory. In every word you whisper, look like Him. In every thought you think, look like Him. In every deed you do, look like Him, the hope of glory. The hope of glory is released when you live from the Spirit, man. You say, Mark, is there any other man to live out of? Unfortunately, there is. He's called the soulish man. (laughs) Let me tell you something about the soulish man, okay? He's up one day, and he's down the next. He's on one day, and he's off the next. He's hit one day, and he's missed the next. He's inconsistent. He'll love you one day and hate you the next day. He'll do anything for you one day, embrace you, but shun you the next day. At times, that soulish man is just plain scary. Is he scary? 
You ever seen your soul man? Oh, you've seen your soul man, haven't you? Scary, isn't he? Sometimes. Amen. He doesn't represent the hope of glory well. He tries, but he doesn't do it well. But the spirit man represents him perfectly every single time. The spirit man always prays perfect prayers. The spirit man always does perfect things. It's a soulish man that we got to get under control because we are the representation of God. We are the expressed image and glory of God. One of my favorite scriptures is in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The truth that's kind of encapsulated in that scripture is the revelation of how we come to look like Him. We don't come to look like Him by doing a bunch of do's and don'ts, if you will. We simply behold His glory. I want you to get that in your heart this morning. You heard the scripture right there. It says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And out of that glory was released His grace and His truth. In Exodus chapter 34, you see this Shekinah glory that's on Moses' face. Exodus chapter 34, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were written on the first tablets which you broke. Do you know who's right next to this? It's Moses, isn't it? If you know the story, Moses had the Ten Commandments, came down the mountain of Mount Sinai, got all ticked off, threw the Ten Commandments down, and then had to go back up and get another set of commandments. And so God is reminding them that, Moses, you broke these. If I'm Moses and I'm writing the Bible, I'm like, I'm thinking, God, do we have to tell everybody my stuff? <laughs> I mean, can we just leave that part out that I had a temper tantrum that day and I, and I broke the Ten Commandments? I don't know what he said to him. He probably just said something like, Moses, let me, let me tell you something. Come here a second. Everybody's going to break the Ten Commandments, okay? Oh, they're all going to do that? Oh, okay. I'm all better now. And then he says to him, be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come up with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Oh, I love all those attributes of God maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And then there's this long dialogue between Moses and God. I'm going to skip over that and let's get to right to the end to, of that conversation. Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware, watch this now, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. This guy's lit up like a White House Christmas tree, and all he's done is just be in the Lord's presence and talk with the Lord. Holy Spirit wasn't in him at the time. Holy Spirit wasn't in Moses, and Holy Spirit is in us. We can be radiant. We can glow everywhere we go. 
And so when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid. Let me tell you something, what I heard the Lord say this morning. He said, don't think it strange that even the people you know and know well, brothers and sisters, relatives, friends, think it strange with this message of grace that you keep talking about. His own people were afraid of him. Why? Because he had all this glory on him. His face was radiant. I don't know what that looked like. I mean, it was probably in the daytime when he came down. So for them to see that his face was radiant, I mean, it had to be really bright. I'll tell you what, grace people that really have the message of grace are the happiest, most awesome people I have ever met in my life. They glow with grace. <laughs> they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the Israelites of the community came back to him and spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands of the Lord that had been given to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Now, let's look. That's in the Old Testament. That's in Exodus. Let's look at the New Testament version of this. It's in 2 Corinthians beginning at chapter 3, verse 7. And I'm reading from the Message Bible. It's about the lifting of the veil. The government of death, its constitution chiseled on stone tablets, had a dazzling inaugural. Moses' face, as he delivered the tablets, was so bright that day that the people of Israel could no more look right at him than stare at the sun. How much more dazzling than the government of living spirit. And of course the government of living spirit is the message of God's love and the message of God's grace, not a message of rules. If the government of condemnation was impressive, how about this government of affirmation? You see, that's why we stand in Triumphant Grace Ministries every single Sunday, and we keep affirming that God loves you. We keep affirming that His grace is working in your life. There's something about this affirmation that we want. I want to be affirmed. I want to be affirmed. How much more impressive is this government of affirmation? And that government of affirmation is His grace. Bright as that old government was, it would look downright dull alongside this new one. Let me stop here and say something. Did you hear what they said? If you compared the two covenants side by side, one would look downright dull compared to this new one. And I felt the Lord say yesterday to me, see, if you've heard me talk about my little boy, Taylor, who went to be with the Lord when he was about a year old. Well, Taylor was born with a twin. Taylor had complicated heart problems, and he had his first open heart surgery when he was six days old. Major open heart surgery. And then the doctor said, this is a three-step repair, so you'll need to come back in about five, six, seven, eight months or something like that, and we'll do the second one and the third one in about two years. And so we, we knew about this. But I said to the doctor, how will I know? How will I know? Because you said it might be five months. You said it could be nine months. How am I going to know? He said, well, the beauty for you is you have his twin. And so when the babies are laying side by side and you see the nice pink flesh on the one, that's the healthy one, and you see the dusky gray setting in on the, the sick twin, he said, you'll know it's time. He said, when you compare them side by side, you will be able to clearly see the difference. And when you look at the covenant side by side, you can clearly see there's nothing in the old covenant that would compel me to want to go back to it. It's about the covenant of grace and it gets me excited. 
You know what? I don't need a room full of people to get excited. I get excited at home all by myself. I told my wife when she left the other night to go babysit our grandchildren, I looked at our dog Hattie. I said, Hattie, it's just you and me. I'm going to be preaching to you tonight. I just get happy all by myself. I do because I, I think about all of his goodness and his awesomeness. If that makeshift arrangement impressed us, how much more this brightly shining government installed for an eternity? You just must be happy way deep down in your spirit, right? It'll work its way out, believe me. He says right here, he says, with that kind of hope to excite us, nothing holds us back. Unlike Moses, we have nothing to hide. You know, that's the beauty of grace. If you've got something in your heart you think you're hiding from somebody else, don't worry about it. Listen, you don't need to reveal it. God's already dealt with it. There's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be ashamed of. We have nothing to hide under this new covenant. You know, in the old covenant, once a year you had to go confess your sins. And you had to go in there in that little confession booth and tell that, that high priest all about you. You had to sacrifice a lamb. There's been one sacrifice for all. His name is Jesus. We don't need to do it again, right? We don't need to do it again. With that kind of hope to excite us, nothing holds us back. Unlike Moses, we have nothing to hide. Everything is out in the open with us. He wore a veil so the children of Israel wouldn't notice that the glory was fading away. And they didn't notice. They didn't notice it, and they don't notice it now. Don't notice that there's nothing left behind that veil. There's nothing left behind the veil. That's why when the veil was torn, say, here we go. There's nothing there, is there? Even today, when the proclamations of that old bankrupt government are read out, they can't see through it. People just can't see through that. It's so easy to see when you look through the lenses of grace. Only Christ can get rid of that veil so they can see for themselves that there's nothing there. Whenever, though, they turn to face God, as Moses did. We sang that song today, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. God removes the veil. In other words, let's break it down into your language, young lady. The peekaboo is over. It's over. God removes the veil. And there they are face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation, we call it the law, the Ten Commandments, is recognized as obsolete. I want you to get that in your heart this morning. It's recognized as obsolete. Don't let the enemy put you under condemnation that you've got to do this to impress God. That's part of the old covenant, and it is obsolete. We get to do. None of the things I've ever done I did to impress God. I did it because I love God. And I'll continue to do what I do because I love God. And because I love people. And I want people to know the love of God. We're free of it. All of us. Nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of His face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. Or another way to say it, we look like Him, our hope of glory. Back to that John chapter 1 verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I went to school with a friend, a gentleman, and of course after we got on the right side of school, uh, we stayed in touch a little bit, but he went into the military. He moved uh, quite a ways away, and I only see him about every two years. Shortly after I got saved, he called me. And I thought, wow, he's not going to recognize me. I'm a different man. 
he's going to reject me. But I took my stand that, and I, I told him I, what had happened in my life, that Jesus Christ walked into it. I was a different man. I was changed forever. He gave me this kind of like, uh, it was kind of like a congratulations and condolences all in one. <laughs> Anybody ever do that to you? And so I, I explained this. And, I, and when I got off the phone, I hung up the phone. I literally said out loud, I'll never hear from him again. Now this, I'm new in my Christian walk. I don't have this message of grace working. And it was about three or f about four years later probably, I went out to my car one day where I lived and there was a note underneath my windshield wiper. And I opened it up, my friend was back in town. Said, this is so and so, here's my phone number I wanna see before I leave. I found out later in the parking lot that my car was parked in, he put that same note under everybody's windshield wiper because he didn't know whose car was mine. So I called him up and I said, hey buddy, what's up? He said, could I get with you before I leave town? I'm only here a couple more days. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. And I went over there one night and he began to tell me, he said, Mark, he said, I'm, I'm a high-ranking military official now. I've got almost 20 years in the military. I've got a beautiful home in a sunny state. I've got a nice car. I've got everything anybody would want in life, but he said, I'm empty on the inside. That seed that I put in his heart four years ago was still cooking. I love it. He said, but I'm empty on the inside. And I looked at him and I said, friend, you always will be until Jesus walks into your heart. I said, do you want him? He said, yeah, I want him. It was, I mean, it was just so easy. It's like, Lord, he put his hands in mine. I led him to Jesus. Here's the amazing thing, though. When he opened up his eyes, we were looking right at each other when he opened his eyes, and both of us had tears in our eyes. And he asked me a question. It consisted of two words, and here's the two words. He said, now what? I said, now what? But I was so religious back then. I know my answer sounded something like this. Well, now, brother, you need to get yourself in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching Bible church. You ever say that one to someone? You need to be planted in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. I would have said that to him. You need to be baptized in water. You need to start paying your tithes now. You need to read your Bible. You need to occasionally go out on street corners and witness. You know, load them down. You need to pray. You need to, maybe God's going to lead you into fasting. You need to stay out of the bars, too. But, you know, I'm, I'm telling him all this stuff, you know. And he's just receiving it. Oh, man, what I should have said and what I would say now is I would just say, friend, behold God's glory. Look at Jesus. You see, when John the Baptist introduced Jesus, John's name means grace. So you got the grace man introducing the grace man. I love that grace upon grace right there in the Jordan River. And when John saw Jesus coming, what did he say? He didn't say, pray. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, we're going to have church. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? He said, just would you just look at Jesus? <laughs> Watch him. Look at Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I felt the Lord say this to me. The way to bring undisputable transformation is to quit looking at yourself. And look at Jesus, the Lamb of God. Quit looking at self. You know what? Here's the difference between law and grace. Law will tell you to look at self. Grace will tell you to look at Jesus. That's the difference. Law will have you doing a bunch of do's and don'ts, and a little checklist of things like that. That's what law does. It keeps pointing you back to stuff. No, we don't want to look at stuff. We want to look at the Savior. Oh, man. The Shekinah glory lit Moses up that day. 
In Exodus chapter 33, beginning at verse 18, we find these words. Then Moses said, he's starting to get bold now. He says, show me your glory. Oh, man. Oh, you can hear the drum roll, can't you? And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot. He said to Moses, you cannot see my face and live. Did he say that? Am I in the Bible? He said, you can't see my face and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place. There is a place near me where you may stand on my rock. Mmm, who do you think that is? <laughs> when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you're going to see my backside. You're going to see my glory. But my face must not be seen. And as I was meditating on this uh, yesterday, I said, Lord, what do you mean the face, your face will not be seen? What is the face of God? The face of God is Christ. The face of God is Christ. You say, how do you know that? Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, and we did see him, we did behold his glory. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. The face of God is Christ. We have seen God's face. His name is Jesus. This was a revelation to me as I was meditating yesterday. What I believe what we can see in this here is that when God was saying, Moses, you can't see my face and live. Moses is just receiving the covenant, the old covenant, the covenant of law. Jesus is the covenant of grace. And God was saying, listen, Moses, I don't want to give them both to you today. That's what we call the mixture gospel. I was under it for a lot of years. I was under a grace covenant thinking I had to perform to please my daddy. Do you get that? You can't see my face. You can't get Jesus today and the old covenant. It's one or the other. Which one do you want? In Genesis chapter 1, as I change gears here, we find the story of creation. A perfect God has created a perfect universe. He's hung a perfect moon and stars at a perfect distance from earth. He's created a perfect earth and equipped it with perfect furnishings. He has planted a perfect garden. We call it the Garden of Eden. Do you know the word Eden in the Hebrew literally means pleasure or delight? God said, listen, I'm going I'm to plant you in a garden of pleasure. That's why I'm going to come down and just visit with you all the time. I'm going to plant you in a garden of delight. And as time draws near, He's about to create a perfect man. His name is Adam, the jewel of all God's creation. And what God does is he fashions man from the dust of the ground, the clay, the dirt, if you will. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man stands up, a living being, full of God's glory. And as I was thinking about that, the Lord said, do you know how we were most similar? And I said, it was glory, wasn't it? And it was. It was the glory of the Lord on Adam. God has clothed Adam, if you will, with this awesome glory. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, let's listen in on the dialogue that God was having that preceded him creating Adam. 
And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion, that's power if you will, over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. The word image is mentioned three times in those two scriptures. Image, image, image. We're created in God's image. And it literally means resemblance. We resemble God. But the Bible says through one act of disobedience, Adam exchanged his perfect constitution of glory for fig leaves. He had this glory about him. And when the glory had lifted there, he said, whoa, wait a minute. I need some more glory somewhere. Where am I going to get glory? What's open at this time? Saw a fig tree. Got the leaves off of it. Fig leaves in the Bible are always a picture of self-righteousness. And so Adam has lost the glory of God that was on him. And so suddenly he's wanting to put his own glory on him. It doesn't work, friends. Fig leaves shrink up after a little while. I mean, they're big leaves, real big, bigger than my hands like this. Fig leaves are big leaves. But after a little while, they start shrinking. (laughs) And you see, listen, you're exposed again. They'll never cover you like God's glory covered you. And so Adam runs and he hides, you know. I mean, he tries to to make things right. You know, I'm going to cover myself. I'm going to blame it on my wife. You know, he just goes through this whole thing. Like, these are just excuses. In Romans 3, 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of God's glory. Adam lost the glory that day of perfection. And he lost his power. And because we were in Adam's genetic code at the time, the same thing happened to us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who's that one man? It's Adam. And death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who was a pattern of one to come. So what is God going to do about our state of no glory? What is God going to do about us living in a state of no power? Is He going to leave us that way? In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11, you see these words. You see, at just the right moment of time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. This is a powerful scripture. When the Bible says we were powerless, it's the Greek word asthenes. It's where we get our English word asthma from. If you've ever seen anybody having an asthma attack, you'll know one thing about them. They are powerless to save themselves. It's an awful thing to watch. God said when you were in that state, when you couldn't do anything to help yourself, Christ died for the ungodly. And you know one thing that really gives me hope when I hear he died for the ungodly? Because if I have a bad day, I'm I'm reminded that he didn't die for just the righteous. (laughs) There was nobody righteous. He didn't die just for the good man and the godly man. He died for what I used to say, the garbage man. But he didn't see us that way. Christ died for the ungodly. So if I'm having a bad day, I can say, wait a minute. I can see how deep his love is for me. That he would die for me when I was ungodly when I was powerless, when I had asthma, if you will, I had this sin problem. He died for me at that time. Oh, man. (laughs) Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath 
through Christ. For if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled. That word reconciled literally is referring to our glory was restored. That's how your glory is restored, is when you come to Christ. He puts the glory back on you. That's why when you think you do something that's dark and evil and God's not going to be happy with me, are you kidding me? There's so much glory on you, He can't see that spot and wrinkle. <laughs> that's liberating, isn't it? He can't see those little marks that you think that are troubling you. Just agree with Him. The glory was restored to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not our life, but His life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Romans 5, 18 and 19. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass, Adam only blew it one time, was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness, that is Christ, that is the last Adam, was justification that brings life for all men. What Jesus did by shedding His blood was He was, He literally what He did is He, he took us and He planted us back in the Garden of Eden essentially. He is that Garden of Eden. We call it the Garden of Paradise, Paradise Garden. And, we, and He clothed us with perfection. The word paradise only comes up three times in the whole Bible and they're all in the New Testament. And when I looked up the word paradise to see what does this word paradise exactly mean? Do you know what it says? Eden. It references all the way back to that first garden. It calls it Eden. Paradise is called Eden. And the first place, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4, the Apostle Paul is talking. He says, I know a man in Christ. He's talking about himself. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. The Apostle Paul was caught up into this paradise, this awesome place, and he heard things being spoken that nobody has else heard. In Luke chapter 23, you find the, the story of the crucifixion. And the Bible says, there was a written notice above Jesus, which read like this, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done no wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at that criminal and he said, Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. The Garden of Eden. The last place we see it is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Jesus himself said this. He says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious. Are you victorious in Christ? That's you, isn't it? To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat. Now watch what he's about to say. This is powerful. He said, I'm going to give you the right to eat from the tree of life. Wow. Wait a minute, I just had a flashback. Wasn't one of those trees back in the garden called the tree of life? He said, the person that's victorious, I'm going to give them the right 
the privilege, if you will, to eat from the tree of life, watch what he says, which is in the paradise of God. He said it's in the paradise of God. Who is the tree of life? Who is the paradise of God? It's Christ Jesus. He is the tree of life. When God took Adam and created him and walked him into the middle of the garden, he said, Adam, I want you to take a look at these two trees. Do you see them? I've got names for these trees. This one here is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This one's called the tree of life. He said, Adam, whatever you do, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. He didn't say he couldn't eat from this tree. He just said, don't eat from this tree. I don't know how many days went by before Adam broke that command that God gave him. It didn't matter if it was one day or a thousand days. Adam did it. And it cost him the garden. And so Adam lost his perfect glory and he was cast out of the garden. But I know a man, I know a man named Jesus who came and said, God, Daddy, I can restore them into the garden. Here's what I felt the Lord say to me. When Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there was nothing good that he could do to reverse his condition. He had lost his glory. There was nothing, no good thing that he could go out and do. He tried to. He tried to put fig leaves on. He tried to blame it on somebody else. He tried to run and hide from God. There was nothing he could do to reverse his condition. And so it is, conversely, with believers. When we come and we eat from the tree of life, there is nothing bad that we can do to reverse the condition that we have been planted into the tree of life. And his name is Jesus Christ. Friends, that is the gospel. That Jesus said, listen, I'll purchase them, I'll redeem them, I'll redeem them out of their situation under that curse, and I will bring them and I will plant them back in the garden. Except this time, it's not going to be a physical garden. The garden's going to be inside of me, and I watch everything that comes in and everything that goes out. This will not happen on my watch. They won't get kicked out of the garden this time. I'm a garden keeper. I'm a bigger than a, just a gatekeeper. I'm a garden keeper. I don't need angels this time to protect the garden. I'm going to protect the garden this time. Oh, it makes me happy. It makes me happy that he's tending my garden because I'm not a good gardener. I mean, weeds get in the way and rabbits get in there, chew things up, pound things down. God is a good garden keeper. But I want Jesus to have the last word of this message. And he does in John chapter 17. And if you ever looked at John chapter 17, it's one long prayer. The whole chapter is Jesus praying. First of all, he starts off praying for himself. Then he prays for his disciples. Then he prays for all believers. So this scripture, you think, oh, wait a minute. Is this going to come out of the one he's praying about himself to daddy? Is this just going to be his 12 disciples? Or is this going to be all believers? Well, you got good news. It's, it's in the section that says all believers. Very short scripture. John chapter 17, verse 22. He says this. Father, the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. The glory you put on my life, Daddy. I've taken that same glory and I've given it to them. How cool a club is that? He said, I'm giving them the same glory. It's not some other type of glory. It's not some spare glory. It's the glory you put on me. I'm giving them the same glory. And then he says that they may be one even as we are one. Oh my goodness. It's because of that outrageous prayer. It's because of that outrageous life that Jesus lived. That extravagant life and that extravagant prayer that we can say, I look like him. The hope of glory. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for your great grace. And I want to thank you that because of what Jesus has done, he's planted us back in the garden. And that garden 
is himself. And Father, I want to thank you that we can behold your, your face today because we can see Jesus. We can behold the glory of the Lord. And Father, I just want to thank you that glory transforms our lives. Cause your, your people to be bold. Cause your people, Lord, to be bold everywhere they go. And Father, the truth of the matter is, we don't really even have to say stuff. If the light is bright enough, it will draw the people. If the glory is bright enough, if it's bright enough, we get this revelation about your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy and your kindness that has said, blessing of the Lord, it will draw the people to us and it will be just as simple as it was with my friend. What can I do for you? I want to know this Savior that you know. And Father, it should always be that easy. Father, I want to thank you that you're raising up a generation of people that realize that there's nothing left behind the veil. The veil has been torn. The glory of God has been released. It's no longer confined to behind the veil. It lives inside of us. And we are an open letter read of all men. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this word. Amen.